Great to see you. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis 20, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Genesis. Our focus in this section is really still the life of Abraham. He's the man called by God, set apart. He's the head of the chosen people, really the nation of Israel. God made a covenant with Abraham, giving him the land, the seed, the blessing. Well, this evening's passage, we could put it this way. It's sort of, if we want to put that slide up. Oh, he's not up there yet, is he? Sorry, buddy. I would have taken along. I would have done something else. I would have made a, made a funny joke or something very funny. Okay. <laughs> then again, maybe not. This passage is going to both hurt and help in the sense it's going to hurt because we see Abraham's failure. It hurts us. You know, you look at this and you say, this is the man of, you know, a great man. He's chosen by God, a man of faith and all these things. And we see what happens. We go, gosh. But then at the same time, it's going to help because we continue to see God's faithfulness. Regardless. Because he keeps his promises, it's not based on us. You know, when he makes a promise, he says, I give you eternal life, you'll never perish. It's not based on you. Because there's some people who say, well, you know what, if I don't keep living right or something, I might want to go to heaven. It's not based on you. Salvation is a gift given to you. God keeps his word. We dig this passage. We're going to see some things that contributed to his failure and how, maybe how to deal with this. And we realize that God is faithful even when we're not faithful. I pray as we continue this study, I mean, there's a lot in the book of Genesis that we can make application in our lives. Let's begin with a prayer, and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word and the truths that are here. Thank you for how perfect it is, your, uh, the, the perfect word of God. Thank you, Lord. We look at the life of Abraham and uh, the, the high father, the father of many nations, the man that you made the covenant with, the land, the seed, the blessing, the nation of Israel came from him. And, and, and he's a picture of all who come to you by faith. And so, Lord, we just thank you for him. But as we look at it, we see that he does things wrong, just like we do. And, Lord, we are so thankful that our salvation and so many other things are not based on our faithfulness, but it's based on you, that you always do what you say. You cannot lie. You, whatever you promise, you do. You're always able to do whatever you promise. So we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we just ask you that you teach us tonight as we study the passage. Help us to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Teach us now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's this famous saying that says, one thing that man learns from history is that man doesn't learn from history. And we make the same mistakes over and over again, whether it's political mistakes or governmental or relational or judgmental. Think about our own lives. We, we, we sometimes do things and we fail, and then we do the same thing over and over again, and we keep failing. And some things, uh, I think two, thing, two things are true about people when we fail. One is we, can, we, we continue to make the same mistakes over and over. It's called sin. But oftentimes we also want to blame somebody else every time, not ourselves. I think when we see Abraham tonight, he makes the same mistake that he's done already. He lies about Sarah. He calls her his sister. And technically, she is his sister. But when he said that, it's not what he's trying to do. And he places the blame on somebody else. He basically says, well, I didn't think anybody would be believers down here, so that's why I did that. And we'll see how that ties together. We think about this man, Abraham, the man chosen by God, the man set apart, called the man of faith. But he's also the man of failure. He's a picture of us. By faith, we trust in Jesus Christ, we have salvation, we fail when we sin. In this passage, man's failure and God's faithfulness, I think one of the things we see over and over is that God is faithful even when we are not faithful. And we're going to see it all the way, it's all the way through the whole Bible, but it's really a lot in, in the book of Genesis because of what we see in Abraham to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all of those different things. Let me break down the passage for you tonight. Uh, we call this Abraham's failure. He lies in verses 1 and 2, and then God warms Abimelech, and uh, Abimelech, we see his integrity. Uh, and I'm going to raise some questions about his integrity. 
uh, we'll see things there. And then we'll see the confrontation. Abimelech, so-called unbeliever, confronts Abraham, the, the man chosen by God. And then we see the restoration and see how that fits together. There's a place in there I want you to think about before we get there. You, you saw it when I read it a while ago that uh, God said to Abimelech, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to kill you. You'll die. Why? Why do you think he said that? Why do you think God said, you're dead if you don't, if you don't give back this woman? We'll talk about it as we go through it. So we look at this passage this evening. We see the failure of Abraham. And as we look at this, it should come as no surprise. How many times have we failed over and over as we look at this? And in ourselves there's failure. In Christ there's always victory. You know what we say? We say, I'm not going to gossip anymore. I'm not going to do that, but we do. We say, I'm not going to lie, but we do. We say, I'm not going to lust, but we do. We say, I'm going to be sensitive to my wife. And we're not. We say, I'm not going to nag my husband. And we do. We say, I'm going to show kindness. And we don't. Failure. As we see these events this evening, we see Abraham's third major failure since being called by God. Since God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees to come there and come to the promised land, he's failed three times. I want you to think what they are. Number one, that when he went to Egypt, he lied about Sarah. He said that she was his sister. It wasn't. And he got himself in trouble. We're going to read those verses tonight just briefly. Then we see that instead of waiting for God's promise about the son through Sarah, he took Hagar as his wife. He didn't trust God. And now here's a third thing. He goes to Gera and he lied again about Sarah. Same thing. Over and over again. You know, if we're people dealing with people, about the third time a guy messes over us or bothers us, we let him go, don't we? We go, that's it. I don't trust you. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. How many times have we not done what God wanted us to do? Does he ever say to us, ma'am, I'm just about through with you? Never does it. Never does it because God's faithful. As we look at these events, let's go back just for a second. Hold your place in Genesis 20, but go back to Genesis chapter 12, okay? I want you to see something. Just turn back just a few pages in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12 and look at verse 10. This is much earlier, probably when Abraham was a little older than 75 and Sarah was a little older than 65. Verse 10, Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram, he's called Abram there, went down to Egypt to sojourn there to stay there for a while. For the famine was severe in the land. It came back when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, her name's been changed from then too. He, he was Abram, which means big, you know, big daddy. Her name was Sarai, which meant nagger. Now his name is Abraham, father of many nations. Her name is Sarah, which means princess. He said to Sarai, his wife, see now I know that you're a beautiful woman. She's 65. You're a beautiful woman and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me. But they'll let you live. So here's what we want to do. Please say that you're my sister. So that things may go well with me because of you and that I may live on your account, on account of you. He thought, hey, see, if we tell them you're my sister, they'll say, oh, we want to get on the good side because, see, the sister comes under whose protection? The brother. And so we want to get on the good side of the brother because she's a beautiful woman. And that's what he says. We'll do that. Well, he's going to do the same thing. Do you know what happened? You're still there. Look, look what happened in verse 18 when they found all about it. Pharaoh then called, verse 18 of chapter 12, Pharaoh called Abram and said to him, what is this you've done to me? Abram? The man called by God, the man who believed God, the man who lived through the Chaldees. The, the, and here's Pharaoh, uh, who has a lot of gods and thinks he's God. And what does he say? What is this you've done to me? Why did you, 
Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why didn't you tell me the truth? Why did you say she's my sister so I took her for my wife? Now watch what he says. Now, then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Bottom line, you're not welcome here. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away and his wife and all that belonged to him. It was a really embarrassing thing that a pagan king had to escort the man of God out because he lied. He lost his testimony. It was embarrassing. Well, as we look at this passage, if you remember, Ronald Reagan used to say, well, there you go again. Well, here he goes again because he's going to do exactly the same thing. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. Now Abram journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he journeyed in Gerah. Now we got a little map and it's not a very good map to see and I don't have a little pointer thing. But you see the Dead Sea and you see that the kind of little crook in the Dead Sea there where it's the bigger part, I mean the big part and then the little part and the little crook. If you go out to the west, that's about where he's going to. He's going to a place called Gerah and there's a place called uh, Beersheba is in that area. And, and in this area there's, there's Kadesh and Shur and Gerah. He's in that little area right around in there. So that's where he is. He's moved down from, I don't know if on the map you can tell, you may not can, there's a place called Hebron. He'd been lived up around Hebron, around the Oaks of Mamre, that's where he'd been. The guy named Mamre had the big oak trees. He'd left and he's gone south. And then he's going to go a little bit back. Now, he, the question would be, why did he leave? He's, everything's been pretty good so far. He's been living in that place. Why did he leave? He doesn't tell us any reason why he left. You can take the map down if you want to. It says, now Abraham, Abraham journeyed from there. And you have to go back several chapters to find that he's at the Oaks of Mamre. He's near Hebron. Abraham journeyed from there toward toward the land of the Negev. By the way, when you see Negev, Negev means the south. That's all it means. It means the south. That part of the world, that the part going down to what we call the Sinai Peninsula and all that, that's called the Negev. So he was journeying toward the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. And then he journeyed in Gira. Now, why did he go there? We don't know. But God, by the way, does this land belong? Who does this land belong to? Who? Abraham. It's all his. It's what God promised him. And yet, uh, of course, all the other people are controlling it right now. But it really belongs to Abraham. It belongs to his people. Sarah. He, he got down there. Notice it said, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. Now, when he goes to Gerah, there is a king there by the name of Abimelech. Abimelech uh, is a, is a, he's a pretty strong ruler. Gira had to be a big enough place that they had a king. So they were they were these city-states is what they were. As a city got bigger, they usually put walls around them, and then someone would come to power and say, I'm the king of Gira. I'm the king of Jerusalem. I'm the king. So here's a guy calling himself a king. And his name is Abimelech. And when Abraham comes to his city, Abraham had told Sarah, listen, She's my sister. He said, you tell him you're my sister, just like that's the plan. We've been saying that in other places. And so they get there, and that's what he says. She's my sister. Abimelech wants to take her. Abimelech, king of Gerah, sent and took Sarah. Let me ask you a question. How old is Sarah? How old is she? She's about 90. She's about 90. She's a pretty good-looking 90-year-old woman, let's tell you. I mean, because the king says, I want that woman. I want her as, I want her as part of my, my harem. I want her as part of my women. That's what he's asking for. You understand that? He's not just saying, 
Oh, let her just come live in my house as a friend. No. He's saying, I want this woman. She's 90 years old. So Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerasim, took Sarah. When Abraham gets here, he gets himself in trouble. Why would he do this? We'll see it a little bit later in verse 11, a little bit further. We won't go there now. But he was afraid the people would kill him. He thought there would be no believers there. There would be nobody who would be uh, moral people. There nobody, nobody that would be there that would be godly in any way, shape, or form. And so he thinks the best way to protect his life is to lie and to say, She's my sister. Same reason, he, same thing he did in Egypt. He was afraid there. So he comes to Gear and he tells the people that. And think about this. That's not exactly what I was looking for. Something happened. We lost it. Is it going to ever come back? The part of it's on there. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to go on, but here's what we got. Um, what's our response to fear? Because he was afraid. Whenever there's fear, we can either have faith or foolishness. I mean, you can either trust God or you can... You cannot trust God. You can be foolish. He didn't trust God. In his, he didn't trust God to work the plan. Let me tell you. What had God told him? Remember at the tent? He said, I will return in a year. And when I return in a year, Sarah is going to have the son you've been waiting for all these years. Time has passed since then. It's getting closer and closer. You realize Abraham is about to jeopardize Sarah and the son they've waited for all this time? Because he let... Abimelech, come take her. How do you think Abraham felt when they came in and said, King Abimelech, we like your sister. Thank you. We know that's a fine deal. He'll take care of you. And just take her off. He can't go, uh, that's not supposed to happen. Fear will do some strange things for us. He had come up with his own plan rather than trust God, and now it's backfired. And King Abimelech says she's going to be one of his many wives. Well, Abraham has made a big mistake. Did you get it going yet? You did? Okay, go on past that one if you would. Here's Abraham's mistakes. Sarah is Abraham's wife. She's not supposed to be with Abimelech. There's going to be adultery in the relationship? Is that what's supposed to happen in this relationship? No. And he's jeopardized the coming seed because the child's got to be by Abraham, not by Abimelech. Listen, if he even gets in there and has sexual relations with her, and then they have a baby later, whose baby is it? Is it Abraham's baby or is it Abimelech's baby? I don't know. Who are we going to know? She's not supposed to be with anybody else. You see what's happened? He's jeopardized the whole thing. Abraham has put into jeopardy the promise and has dishonored Sarah. And this is the second time. He is so close to having the son that he's waited for for 25 years. How could he do this? How many times have we done the same thing over and over? Have you done a sin and then you say, okay, this is the last time I'm going to ever do this. And you tell God that. You say, Father, I, I confess this sin and I, I promise you I won't do, I will not, I promise you I will not do this again. Right? Then what do you do? You do it again. You come crawling back. Right? That's what we do. This next verse is comforting because 
Is it working? God intervenes. Oh, you, I need to say it, not because you're looking down, right? Okay, sorry. This, is, uh, this next verse is comforting because God intervenes. Look what happens. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Good gracious, it's powerful. God comes to him in a dream. God is going to be faithful to protect the promise. He will always do what he says because what's his promise? That through Abraham and Sarah, this son is coming. The son is Isaac. And through Isaac is going to come Jacob. And through Jacob is going to come the nation of Israel. And through the nation of Israel, it comes Judah. And comes Judah is going to be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God's not going to let anything happen to that. Notice what he says to him in the dream. What if you had a dream, and all of a sudden God comes to you in the dream and says, You are a dead man. You'd be waking up, wouldn't you? I'm going to waken up out of this thing. Why am, I, why, why am I a dead man? Because the woman you have taken, she is married. Go ahead and go to the next slide. God will not allow his promises to be stopped. Now, that's a comforting thing. Let me, say, let me just say this. You, you have believed, we, we in this room, we have believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior. I hope and pray every one of you have. So you have eternal life, right? And eternal life lasts for how long? Forever. Now, are you sure you've got eternal life? Who made the promise to you? Does God always keep His promises? Anything can stop it. What if you quit believing? What if you sin? What if you say, I don't believe that anymore? What if you, uh, what if you really blow it? What if you don't keep faithful? What if you mess up all over the place? As if we're not going to. Right? Is he still faithful to do exactly what he says? Always does. Always does. God will not allow his promises to be stopped. Notice the answer. When, he, when God says to him, Cause of the woman whom you married, you've taken, she's married. Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, <coughs> will you slay a nation even though blameless? He had this impression that not only would he be killed, Abimelech, but his people. Because that's why he said, will you slay a nation? We're blameless. I haven't done anything wrong. Had he done anything wrong, what do you think about his integrity? How many wives did he have as king? We don't know how many he had. But you know, in that culture, was that an accepted thing? It was. Watch what God says. Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't, haven't had sexual relations with this woman. Now look how he explains it. Did he not himself say to me, didn't Abraham say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In, my, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. He said, they both lied to me. Didn't Abraham say she's my sister? And then she said, he's my brother. They've lied to me. Both of them lied to me. I mean, I, I, I mean, in the integrity and innocence. Integrity and innocence. Integrity is doing right. Innocence is not doing wrong. He said, I, I thought I was doing okay. Integrity is doing the right thing in the right way. Let's stop for a minute. Let's think about integrity. Because integrity means that we're men and women of integrity, that people can trust us and we do right. We need to have integrity in our family units, faithfulness in our relationships, in our jobs, and honesty, and all the things that we do. We're not to give appearance of evil. We talked about it this morning, that we need to be lights in a fallen world. 
We need to be people of integrity, do the right thing. And so that's a question that we could ask ourselves. Are we men and women of integrity? Can we be trusted? Do we do the right thing? Think about it. Do we do the right thing in our relationships? Go to the next one. If we're unmarried, how is your relationship? Let's just think of relationships for a second. And unmarried, how are your relationships with the opposite sex? Are you able to be trusted? Are you a person of integrity? What about married? If you're married, can you be trusted? Can you trust in your marriage relationship with your wife and and wife with you? And what about your work? Do you, as the old saying, give an honest day's work for a day's pay? I've been reading about in, in the workforce how many people are on the computer and on the internet and on things, not working, but they're sending all these things. How many times, how many of you guys get stuff all the time? What are these people doing at their job because of the people who send me stuff? I mean, I look up on my computer and there's this thing from this person. And I'm going, how do they have time to do this if they're supposed to be working? And you thought about that? Drives me crazy. I just have to go click, 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 click and delete all that stuff. It drives me nuts. Unless you got something good, send me something good. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. But the bottom line, think about our word. Can we be trusted in what we say? If you say it, do you do it? If you say I'll be there, you'll be there. If you say I'll help you, I'll help you. If you say I'll give you that, I'll give you that. We must be people of integrity. Psalm 78, 72 is talking about the life of David. It says he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them with his skillful hands. He shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. Now, Abimelech is saying, hey, um, I did what I thought was right. I, I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I, in the integrity of my heart, doing what's right, and the innocence of my hand, not doing anything wrong, I have done this. Now notice what Abimelech said. I mean, what God says to Abimelech. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Wow. Did Abimelech know that God was stopping him from touching her? He didn't even know it, did he? How do you know what happens in your life that God is protecting you and doing things and moving things around? You don't even know. You don't even know what he's doing in your life. That's pretty powerful. God protects us. Do you know that there's no temptation that's going to come into our life that God will not make a way to escape? Isn't that true? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Is there anything that could come into your life that God will not give you a way out? He'll always give you a way out. We don't have to say, I couldn't help it, because he provides a way out. Well, God says this, watch, verse 7. Now, therefore, I want you to restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He calls Abraham what? A prophet. And he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. If not, you're going to die. Why would he die? What if he said, I'm not, I'm not giving, no, 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 no. I'm not giving this woman back. I don't even know who you are in this dream. I mean, you, you God, but I may, it may not be God. It may be something I ate. I don't know. I'm not going to give. I'm not giving her back. Why would he have to die? Exactly. What, 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 if he keeps this woman, what's going to happen? 
He can't be there. He cannot be there to have any kind of sexual relations with her. He's basically saying, either you give her back or you're going to be dead because you can't have this woman in any way, shape, or form. Why? Because the promise has to come through her and Abraham, not Abimelech. You know, there are some things we do wrong that we don't know they're wrong. In the Old Testament, they called them sins of ignorance. Sometimes you do something and then you find out, oh my gosh, I'm not supposed to do that. The moment we find out something is wrong, that we didn't maybe know was wrong, we need to deal with it right then. We need to confess it and deal with it. What's Abimelech going to do? I think he's a man of integrity. When God says, you better do this, he says, I got it. Abimelech's going to confront Abraham. This is the second time that so-called ungodly person is having to confront the man chosen by God. Well, look at verse 8. So Abimelech arose early in the morning. He called all his servants, told them all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. Would you be greatly frightened? You know what you'd be saying to Abimelech? Give her back right now. Give her back. We don't all want to die because of this. We don't want to die because of this. They were fear, frightened. Fear of the Lord. Realizing who God is and what he's done. Chuck Swindoll said this. He says, by fear of God, we don't mean fright but reverence for His holy name, respect for God's sovereign will. It is realizing that God is almighty and holy and He means what He says. So look what happens in verses 9 and 10. Abimelech is going to call Abraham and he's going to ask Abraham three questions. What have you done? What did I do? What could have caused this? Notice this. Verse 9, Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? What did you do? What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you brought this on me and my kingdom a great sin? Basically, what did I do to you to cause this? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Have you ever had an unbeliever challenge you on what's right and wrong because you did wrong and they did right? This is what's happening right here. See, we're supposed to be the right ones, aren't we? We're supposed to be the ones of integrity. We're supposed to be the ones that do the right things. We're supposed to be the lights of the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which we shine as lights in the world. We're supposed to be innocent, blameless children of God above reproach, right? As we saw this morning, isn't that what we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be different. But here's Abraham being confronted and an unbelieving, basically, pagan king saying, What did I do that you did this? You have done things to me you're not supposed to do. How could you have done this? What have I done? What could have caused this? Look at the next verse. Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? What could have caused you to come here and lie to me this way? Think about our lives. Do we have to lie to get away with something? Do we have to lie so that we can have an advantage? Isn't God, our so- isn't God sovereign and doesn't He love us? And isn't He going to take care of us? And He's going to provide for every need that we have and He works everything according to the counsel of His will? Do we have to lie, cheat, steal, do anything wrong to get ahead? We don't have to get ahead. We're already with the Savior. We've got it made. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? He'll provide every need that we have. We can do all things through the One who strengthens us. Why do we need to do anything like this? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall sow what? Reaps. If you sow from the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow from the Spirit, you reap eternal life. We have Abimelech confronting God's chosen man. Why? Because of sin. Well, how do we respond when we're challenged? 
Well, see, now, first of all, uh, I really didn't do this. I mean, first, see, I, uh, I mean, how do we get away with it? We have to make up something, don't we? Abraham does three things. Abraham's response, he says, first of all, I was afraid. Second is, this really is a truth. I mean, she is my half-sister. I mean, it's a partial truth. And this is my plan from the beginning. And he comes up with three, three reasons for lying. Look at the first one. It's found in verse 11. Abraham said, it's, go ahead, I think, is, is there another slide for this? Yeah, fear. And the, by the way, the fear of God can deliver us from the fear of men. We don't have to be afraid of people. We don't have to be afraid of what people are going to do. Abraham said, because I thought, surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. You know what he's afraid of? Now, let me ask you a question. If they killed him, does the promise come true? I mean, what did God promise him? That he's going to have a son. About this time next year is what he told him. Now, is it that time next year? It's not. Is the promised son going to come true, Abraham? Right? So why is Abraham afraid he's going to get killed? He think God's not going to fulfill his promise? See, the fear of God can deliver us from the fear of men. He's worried about something that can't possibly happen. Because God said, you're going to have a child through Sarah. You are Abraham. Abraham said, I thought they were going to kill me. How are they going to kill you? Think about it. Second thing, it's a partial truth, right? It's a partial truth. Look what he says. He says, besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. She's a half-sister. What rationalization? Well, I mean, this is really weird. It's so often we try to rationalize. We say, you know, if you knew my background, if you knew my husband, how he does things, if you knew my wife, how she does things, well, you know, this is just the way the world is. That's what causes these sort of things. Well, everybody else does it. That's just the way I am. You ever talk to somebody and they got a terrible temper and they get mad and they blow up and you say, you shouldn't really do that. And they go, that's just the way I am. That's just the way your flesh is. That's not just the way you are. We all want to blame somebody else. Look at the third thing. The third thing, that's been his plan from the very beginning. Look at verse 13. It says, It came about that when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he's my brother. You know, you'd think, Abraham, that didn't work the first time. Why are you doing it again? When you're in Egypt, it, embar- it was an embarrassment. They had to escort him out. Show the man the door, please. What are they going to do here? They're going to do the same thing. I don't think he's going to get to live in gear. Right? Because what's going to happen? This is my plan. We fail when we don't trust God, when we rationalize, and when we do wrong. We fail when we just don't trust God. He made a promise to Abraham, but Abraham didn't trust him. Abraham rationalized, well, she is my sister. I mean, really, she is. She's half-sister. And this would have been my plan from the beginning. The plan from the beginning was to lie. Wow. What does Abimelech do? Watch. Verse 14. Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. You know what he's doing? He's saying, look, I'm giving you a whole bunch of stuff. I'm showing that I'm, I'm doing good to you. I'm doing good to you. I'm giving you all this stuff. And then look what he said to him. Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. Now, that's a nice way of saying you can't stay in the city. I got this land out here. You just go anywhere you want to. Please leave. And then to Sarah, he says, 
To Sarah he said, Behold, verse 16, Behold, I have given you your brother, given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. That is a lot of money in that time. It's huge. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you, before all men you are cleared. You know what he's saying? I want everybody to know I did not touch you. I did not touch you. Here's the thousand. Here's this. I just want everybody to know I did not touch this woman. Because she needed to be vindicated. Did Sarah do any wrong, anything wrong in this thing? What'd she do? She lied too, didn't she? And she didn't have a whole lot of... Uh, there wasn't a whole lot she could do about this when they came and got her. But she lied. Here's his point. You are vindicated. When she has a baby someday, nobody's going to say, I wonder if it was that Abimelech guy. Not going to say that. Abraham prayed to God. Verse 17, watch. Abraham prayed to God and... God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so they, could, so they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. He, he stopped them all from having babies, from having any children. And now Abraham prayed. Remember, he's a prophet, and he did this. We see the integrity of Abimelech, God's protection of the promise, and the failure of Abraham. It's pretty powerful. A lot in this. Now, I want you to see the next two verses of the next, the first two verses of the next chapter. Look what happened. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore to a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. So all they had to do was just wait. Because God had already said, at the exact time when I come back a year from now, you'll have this son. Just think, chapter 20 almost blew the whole thing. Almost blew the whole thing. Let me give you some applications, and if you've got any questions, we'll do it. Let's think about this. Realize the faithfulness of God. He always, he's faith, God is faithful. He'll always do what He says. He protects. He provides. We saw in this passage that He kept Abimelech from sinning. He kept Sarah pure, and He protected the promise. That's what He does truth god can do anything and he always will do what he says so a let's trust him let's trust god in the events of our lives all the promises he is faithful to provide and protect when we're afraid we just have to say god i know you are there and you will take care of us so trust him second thing is make sure we know and apply the word of god that is the key because that's the promises how are you going to know the promises unless you know the word of god because they're found in the word Live by the promises. He will always do what he says. So realize God is faithful. Second, let's deal with our failure. Let's deal with it. Because, first of all, know how it comes. It comes when we are afraid. It comes when we rationalize. It comes when we do wrong. That's what Abraham did. When we're not trusting God, it's foolishness, not faith. When we rationalize and we try to justify our sin, we try to blame other people. When we do wrong, we just do the wrong thing. You do not get away with sin. Never have, never will. We never sin in a vacuum. Not only does it affect us, it affects the people around us. Abraham was not going to get away with this because he, even though he lied the first time, got in trouble. Now he's lied the second time, got in trouble. Second thing is deal, deal with our failure. What do we do? We have to trust God, not ourselves. We have to take responsibility. When we do wrong, don't say, well, if, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have done this. Just say, I did it. 
And then confess and forsake. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Forget the things that are behind and go on to the things that are ahead. That takes us to the third thing, and that is let's be men and women of integrity. Let's do what's right. Let's do what's right. Decide what kind of people we're going to be. What we do affects other people. Do you realize, what's Abraham's son going to be? What's his name? Isaac? Guess what? Isaac does exactly the same thing. He lies about his wife. Does exactly the same thing. You think that what you do doesn't affect other people? Think about our lives, our integrity and our work and job and school and relationships and all of these things. Do right in the right way. We want to be men and women of integrity as we trust God to be faithful to do what he says. Let's pray. And if you've got any questions or comments, we'll do it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the passage. Lord, it's just so much in there. And Lord, we look at it and we realize that, that you are faithful. You're faithful to do exactly what you say. We must trust you in the events of our lives. Sometimes we get afraid, but we've got to trust you even when we're afraid. We must know and apply the word of God so we can live by these promises and do that. Lord, we know that when we fail, we just realize, first of all, what causes failure? It's, not, it's when we are afraid, when we rationalize, when we do wrong. But Lord, we need to deal with it. We need to trust you. We need to take responsibility. We need to confess it and forsake it. Lord, we must do that. And finally, Lord, we just want to be men and women of integrity. We want to be lights in this fallen world. We want to shine. and we want, In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we want to shine as lights. We want to do what is right. We want to be men and women of integrity. Lord, use us for your glory. May we make an impact for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? I know we got just a, just a minute or two. Yes, Andrew. I don't know. It, that's my first thought when I read that because it it appears what we think is this. He comes in one day, says to Abraham, "Thank, I like your sister. Thank you very much." And he's got her. And we appear that you think, okay, the next day or two he has the dream, and then he comes back and brings her back. That's what it appears. But how did how did they know the wounds were shut up? How did they know that? How do we? We don't know how long it could have been that he took her. I just kept her there and said something like this. One of these days, I'll take this new wife of mine. And maybe maybe a month went by or two. Who knows how long has passed? Because it doesn't give us any indication of time. But at the very end, it says he had shut up their wombs and then he opened them back up. So it almost appears that there had to be enough time that people kept saying, something's not right. Something's not right. So we don't know. It, you know, it looks like a day or two. It could have been. It could have been some months. And that God, and, and that's why God said to him, that's why I did not let you touch her. I mean, if he's the king, he may have 50 women. He may say, I'll get around to her sometime. You know, she's new, you know. So we don't know. Maybe it was some months. Yes. No, I think the integrity there is that he didn't that he was saying that I'm blameless because I didn't touch this woman. That I didn't know she was somebody else's wife. And he's saying, You're right, you didn't know. 
That's why I kept you. So I think the integrity there is not necessarily how many wives he's got. I just brought that in. The flow of the passage doesn't even deal with that. He's just saying that I didn't touch this woman. You've you, you got to know. What, he, he didn't say I didn't touch this woman. He said, I, I didn't know that she was somebody else's wife. I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done this. And God says, you're right. You're right. You, you, you didn't know. That's why I didn't let you touch her. So, yeah. I don't think it says I caused you not. He says, it says, uh, that's why I kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. He didn't cause him not to do it. He just didn't let him. And whatever how he did that, I don't know. It may be that he was so busy with so many other things, he didn't even have time to even see this woman. I mean, you know, he's a king. There's no telling what's going on in the king's life. King's got a lot of things to do if you're a king. <laughs> yes. Don't know. Don't know. Doesn't say. And uh, uh, two, and also, I, I can see God protecting the promise, but it, it seems to me like they got rewarded for lying. Because they came out with silver and servants and animals and everything else because of a lie. Well, it may, it, it may look that way from a human speaking, but if you, if you ask anybody there, what would they say about Abraham? He's a liar. I don't think that's a reward. And, and the character of Abraham is the same as it was in Egypt. It's diminished. And the only reason I think the money was given was to vindicate Sarah so that people would know that she was pure. That's right, because he, he is her brother. And, and maybe he's uh, trying to make her look better. You're, you're exactly right. Yeah. Good point. What else? Anything else? Well, at least the story gets better next time because they have the baby. But as soon as they have the baby, then Hagar, you know, and Ishmael, they get into trouble. You know, there's just one thing after another, isn't it? Isn't that, is that life? That's life. We go, how come nothing goes smooth? You ask your life, how come nothing goes smooth? Well, just go back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Jesus and everybody else. Any of their lives smooth? No. That's the way it is. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for our time. Thank you most of all for Jesus. Help us to learn from this, Lord, that we want to trust you and in the midst of all these things and be men and women of integrity. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.